the church lost its way. Christianity became more of a civic religion, something you believed in and you did because it's what everybody does, more than a transformational religion. And many Christian leaders, leaders of the church, they became drawn more and more to political power rather than the power of God. The gospel of Jesus, well, that ended up being co-opted as a tool for control and even domination. It was used to dominate those who think differently or come from a different place or look differently. And, and so those that were longing for something spiritual, a, a spirituality that met their deep hungers and their thirst, they began to leave the church in droves. And no, I'm actually not talking about the church in the 20th and 21st century, although I certainly could be, the description fits. But what I'm actually describing is the church in the 4th century. As the church and Christianity became more and more synonymous with a person's countries and, and allegiance, which is what happened to be Rome at the time, but could be America in our time, this is exactly the pattern that took place. Those longing for a deeper life in God fled the spiritually anemic church of their day. In the year 270, this movement in Christianity began with a man named Anthony who fled his community, his city, and went out into the desert to seek God without all the distractions of modern life there in the city. And so he and all those others that came after him, they're actually following this biblical pattern, this biblical tradition. In fact, many of them moved out and lived in the very same desert that Moses and the Hebrew people wandered in for 40 years after leaving Egypt. Some of the others fled into the very same desert that John the Baptist had preached in and that Jesus had spent those 40 days and nights fasting in. And so gradually, those deserts around Palestine and those deserts around Egypt, it became populated with men and women who were looking to recover the same deep awareness of God, that same deep life connection with God that Moses and John the Baptist and Jesus seemed to have embodied. Today, those men and women are often referred to as the desert monastics, and the wisest among them we refer to as Amma, or mother, and Abba, father. And their spiritual insights that they developed out there in seeking God and the wisdom that they, they learned of, of what it means to seek God, that's always lived kind of on the edges of the church. And on the edges, it has come down to us throughout history in the form of short stories and sayings about them. And today, I want to share with you the story and some of the teachings of one of my favorite among them, Abba, Abba Moses the Ethiopian, or Moses the Black, as he was sometimes referred to. Now, you may not have heard of him before, but actually, just like St. Patrick is considered the patron saint of Ireland, Abba Moses is recognized as the patron saint of Africa and also the patron saint of nonviolence, which has a lot to do with his backstory. So that's where we're going to begin today. 
You see, long before Moses the Black was a desert saint, he was actually a slave to a wealthy and an important man. And we don't know the details of his time in slavery and his release, but what we do know is that Moses murdered someone as a slave, and so his master banished him. And out there, without any place, with no future, no protection, no prospects, Moses did the same thing that desperate kids in our urban societies do today in those wildernesses that they live in. Abba Moses, or Moses the Black at that time, as he was known, joined a gang of sorts, this band of robbers. And then it wasn't really too long before Moses the Black, the Ethiopian, became the leader of this gang because he was big and he was strong and he was vicious and word got around that you didn't mess with Moses and you didn't mess with his gang. Because you see, these guys, they weren't just thieves. They were violent. You could get murdered if you got in their way. And this was Moses' life. He was strong. He was fearless. He was violent until one day he ended up running from some authorities in a particular town and he ended up outside of town running into and hiding in a monastery. And there in that monastery, Moses encountered something really unusual. He encountered a a kind of quietness that he had never known and a kind of dedication that was unfamiliar to him. The, The monks weren't quite like the gangs he had known, and they weren't like the slave master he'd grown up with. And something about being around these monks began to work on Moses. He saw something in them that he wanted for himself, something that he couldn't steal or take by force, but something that he had to surrender to. And after a while, being around that something brought tears to his eyes Tears for what he has been and done. Tears for who he has become. Tears of longing for the peace and stability that he saw in those monks. Tears that ultimately helped Moses decide to walk away from the life that he had known. He wanted to become a monk. But remember, Moses had a reputation at that time. The monks, they were sheltering him, but they knew who he was and what he had done, and they certainly weren't ready to let him in as a member of their community. I mean, it was one thing to give him shelter. It was something else to allow him to become one of them. But Moses was insistent. And day after day, his tears kept coming, and he began to do everything they said, everything they asked, until finally they relented. And Moses the robber became Moses the monk. Now, sometimes because of his really dramatic change that he went in from his former life to his new life, his story actually has this tendency to get reduced to some oversimplification of a conversion experience. It's sort of the same thing that has often happened in the Baptist tradition and and some of our stories along the way. We say, look at how bad that person was before they walked the aisle, and then they walked the aisle, gave themselves over to Jesus, and now look at how good they are. I don't know about you, but I've heard stories like that all the time growing up as a kid. Only those stories often tend to be quite misleading for us and for Moses. I mean, yes, 
God's grace and love can change us. But, but those moments of conversion are really just the very beginning of that change. They're the tip of the iceberg, the part that's just above the surface that can be seen. But with any iceberg, just like any soul, there is so much more under the surface. And most of the time, those deepest change of all that that is there under the surface, it happens over years of giving ourselves over to God, not just in one day or one hour or one moment of walking an aisle. Becoming a monk, it was the beginning for Moses, the black, just like walking the aisle was for some of us. And, and maybe some things changed on the outside for us right away, just like they did for Moses. But the deeper change, that deeper struggle to become more like Jesus, more at one with God, enlivened by the very presence and spirit of God, enacting the shalom of God, well, that, that is a lifelong journey. And it's what Moses soon discovered. He began living the life of the monk, doing all that they taught him to do. But his inner self, his inner struggle and inner turmoil hadn't really changed. Those demons of his past were still working on him. Those struggles of lust and longing, those temptations of power and wanting more, they kept working on him. And it seemed that no matter how hard he prayed or how much he tried to do, he just could not find the peace, that inner freedom that he saw in those other monks. And so one day he went up to one of the leaders and, and he asked them well, what to do. And first they taught him a mild version of fasting as a spiritual practice. Don't eat every day until you're full, they said. Just stay a little bit hungry. Just stop a little before you're full and you'll start to gain some control over your desires and your impulses, which is good advice. And so he tried that, but still Abba Moses struggled. Still he felt like temptation was always taunting him, always knocking at his door. And so he asked, he asked again, and this time they taught him about all-night prayer vigils, and Moses, eager that he was, decided that he would demand this of his body, an all-night prayer vigil. So all night, he didn't even let himself kneel down to pray, afraid that he might fall asleep if he was kneeling. And so all night, he stood, trying to pray, even with his body growing a little bit weak from hunger, he stood hour after hour. As his body was weakened from hunger, he stood there. As the candle was burning lower, he stood there trying to pray, determined to find God's peace. He stood there all night until those early morning hours when finally he just collapsed in despair. It felt hopeless for him. And it was then that his spiritual father took him up onto a rooftop and had him look off to the west. And there off in the distance, it said that Moses saw a whole army of demons ready to attack and torment Abba Moses. Then his spiritual father told him to look off into the east, and there it said that he saw this innumerable host of angels standing there at the ready. And that's when his teacher told him, Behold, those who are in the west 
are those who are fighting against us, fighting the holy ones. And those whom you've seen off in the east are those who are sent by God to help us saints. And see, those who are many are with us. In other words, the teacher was saying, yeah, that temptation is strong. They do not leave any of us. But neither does God leave us or abandon us. And that power of God, that grace of God, is always stronger than the temptations and power that evil can ultimately have over us. You see, it was a vision teaching Moses to understand that that he, just like you and me, he does not fight his struggles alone, the struggles of temptations, the struggles of his warped desires, the struggle of his guilt, the struggle of his pride, the struggle of his greed. He does not stand alone against the struggle of evil in his own heart. The power of heaven itself is fighting alongside of you. And when I hear that story and all that Moses did to fight with those inner demons, those demons of lust and despair that gripped him, those demons of violent anger that would pulse through his body and his heart, I'm reminded that all of the spiritual practices in the world could not free Moses, and they cannot free you and me. Fasting, prayer vigils, scripture reading, you name it, by itself, it will not change you because ultimately it is God that changes you. It is God that frees you. Which is to say then that change does not happen by our willpower. You cannot force grace. Although we certainly try, don't we? But all that you can do, all that Moses could do, all that the spiritual practices can do is just create the conditions where an encounter with God becomes possible. The conditions where deep change in us and healing grace becomes possible. In fact, Ruth Haley Barton says this really well in a book that the leadership team and the staff have been reading together this year. This is what she writes. In the end, this is the most helpful thing any of us can say about spiritual transformation. I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place. What we can do is create the conditions that make an encounter with grace more possible. But in the end, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. I think we have a really time, hard time with this. So I want to invite you to say that with me in your heart or out loud. I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. All we can do is make ourselves open to a possibility of an encounter with grace. It's at least part of 
what we discover from Jesus' parable that we heard there in Luke 18. But remember, for Jesus' audience, the, the Pharisees, they weren't the bad people that we sometimes make them out to be in our time. That's not how they were seen in their time. The Pharisees, they were these upstanding citizens in the community. They were the faithful church members and, and faithful church leaders. So if you... <laughs> Have ever been a leader in this church or any other church along the way? If you've helped in Sunday school or you've helped lead in worship, if you've been a regular giver or a regular attender, if you've been in ministry in some kind, if you've been a pastor, then you, like me, are pretty similar to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They would have been seen in the very same light that we are, For the Jews of his day, the Pharisees were someone they mostly looked up to. But the tax collectors, on the other hand, well, those guys, they were the sleazy types that betrayed everyone and cheated their way to getting rich. The the tax collectors, they were those ones who decided to seize the opportunity to align themselves with the Roman Empire, and take money from their own fellow neighbors, their Jewish people, to give it to Rome. In Jesus' world, for his audience, when he was telling this parable, uh, no one liked the tax collectors, but everyone would have looked up to the Pharisees. And so, of course, they would understand what, why the Pharisee would pray what he prayed as Jesus tells the story. I'm sure glad that I'm not like the tax collector over there. Thank you, God, for helping me to not become that kind of person. I don't know about you, but it's the kind of prayer that my heart has prayed along the way, and probably Jesus' audience has too. And those listening to Jesus also knew why the tax collector had so much to repent for, betraying his own people, stealing from the poor in order to give to the rich, and then lining their own pockets at the same time. The tax collector prays, I'm a sinner. And the tax collector is there at the temple weeping, coming to grips with what they've done. I've betrayed my own people. I've betrayed you. Oh, God, have mercy on me. The tax collector weeps. You see, everything about Jesus' story made perfect sense, except for how it ended. What the audience wouldn't have expected, what none of us would expect, is that this good, upstanding Pharisee would not go home right with God that day, but the tax collector would. It's the same mystery that Moses the black was learning. You see, Moses had been that tax collector and worse, really, and he really wanted to be like those monks he looked up to or or like those Pharisees in Jesus' day who seemed to have it all together. And so he wept. And he struggled and he despaired and it grew, that despair grew in him because he just couldn't get his stuff together. He was a mess. But what Jesus is teaching us and what Moses was learning is that we do not make ourselves holy. No matter what we do, we can only make ourselves open to grace. And that kind of openness to God's grace, it requires a profound awareness of our need for God, a profound awareness of our own faults, a a humility that's pretty rare for us. 
but it's a humility that actually became this ongoing mark of Abba, Moses, the Ethiopian. You see, this was actually just the beginning of his story. If we had time today, uh, there are so many stories and sayings about Abba Moses, the black, that I would love to unpack and, and to share with you. And in fact, some of the other ancient sayings of his time describe Abba Moses as the chief of all the saints and considers him to be one of the most important of all the desert fathers and mothers. All of that to say is that there is a whole lot we could learn from the sayings of Abba Moses and some of the other stories about him, like the story about the time when his community was following the strict fasting rule during Lent, but these visitors showed up, and so Abba Moses cooked them a meal and broke his fast and dined with them, and then everybody else said, hey, look at Moses, he's breaking the fast, but Moses the black was reminding us that people are always so much more important than our laws and our rules and reminding us that hospitality may just be the chief of all spiritual disciplines. Or the, time, or the story about the time when Moses was becoming so renowned for his holiness that a prince wanted to go out into the desert to meet him. And so this prince sent his servants to find the way out to where Moses lived. And these servants, they went out into the desert looking for this place where Abba Moses lived. And along the way, they found someone who was traveling in the opposite direction. And so they asked the man uh, if he knew anything about Abba Moses, if, if he could give them directions to where Abba Moses lived. And the traveler told the servants that Abba Moses was a fake and a fraud, and not worth their time. And so the servants, they went back to the city and reported what had happened, only to describe the traveler and find out that it was Abba Moses himself who had said these things. It's a story that teaches us maybe something about our own compulsive need for importance and recognition and the path of humility and what that does. But my favorite story, the one that I really want to leave you with today, is the story about Abba Moses the Black that's depicted in the artwork that we have as part of our worship service this morning. It's a story uh, about a day when it came to light that one of the other brothers in his community had committed a serious wrong of some kind. And imagine one of the leaders of our church, your pastor maybe, doing something that needed to be addressed, something that needed to be dealt with. Uh, it, it was a leader, a member of their community who had done this serious wrong. And so a council was called together. And of course, Abba Moses was invited to be a part of, of this council. Only Moses refused to attend well, the priest in charge of, of that community was, of course, frustrated with Moses' stubbornness. This needed to be dealt with. And so he sent someone to tell Abba Moses that he had to come. Everyone is waiting until you arrive, Abba Moses. They, they pressured him. And so Abba Moses got up, and he found this large leaking jug, and he filled it up with water and strapped it to his back. Or in some versions of the story, it's a large bag of sand with a hole in the bottom that he strapped to his back. But whatever it was, he carried it then 
on his back. And he began walking with all that was in it trailing behind him. And Abba Moses made his way from his small little hut to the area where the council was gathered to meet. And as he approached that area of the council, some of the ones that were there came out to greet him. And of course, they saw this leaking jug and asked him, what is this, Father? And Abba Moses said to them, my sins are running out behind me, and I do not even see them. And today I am coming to judge the errors of another. Well, you can imagine that silenced the council. It it humbled them all. I mean, Abba Moses, the most holy man of them all, was profoundly aware of the sin that was trailing behind him. And yet here they were determined to focus on not what was trailing behind themselves, but determined to focus on this other one man's great failure. It's actually a pattern that so many of us still live in. We can see what's wrong with others. We can see where they fail. We like to even point it out sometimes, but we do not see the trail of sin that we are leaving behind us. We can see the pattern of someone else's greed, someone else's pride. It's so obvious to us, but we do not see our own greed, our own pride. We can see what is wrong with those who voted differently than we did this last week. Can you believe them? But we cannot see what is wrong in our own politics. We can see how wrong and how unkind another family member has been to us. But we do not see how unkind or wrong that we maybe have been. It was the same thing at work in the Pharisee when he prayed in the temple, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Rather than getting on his knees and praying alongside that tax collector, have mercy on me too, oh God, because I still need your grace. When those who had gathered at the council heard and saw what Abba Moses had done, they were silenced. They were humbled, and they said no more to the brother who had sinned. Instead, they forgave him his actions, hoping that they might forget forgiveness for their own. Abba Moses the Black, the patron saint of nonviolence, the patron saint of Africa, has much to teach us about surrendering and grace, about humility and power. So let him guide you in these days. And you may just find the power of God meeting you in your great weakness, transforming you to become more and more like Christ. Amen.